Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift, the online cycling platform that's made my training in particular very fun. Shelter Place wrap-up as well as Basque Country Stage 3. There's also Circuit Cyclist the Shelter Place Women's race, which is a 1-1 race. The men's is dot pro, I believe. So a lot of cycling on today and some good racing in particular at Shelter Price, which is looks flat, looks boring, and it can be boring. Turners in, in the Netherlands to Schurden, which is on the border with Antwerp. I think that's still in the Netherlands. No. It looks flat and boring, but today it was an incredibly hard race. I think some of it off camera. I think uh, Carlos Ozzels, one of the riders on you whipped out the Latvian rider Emil Slapin's data from the first third of this race, which all it's just all in this exposed section bordered by some sort of ocean, the Black Sea, not sure. And he did maybe his best ever one-hour normalized power. And, yeah, we had Bennett here, Jakobsen, Melier, Philipson, Christoph, McClay, Buani, a lot of good sprinters, Kronewerken. What group composition did we have Benji with Bora with numbers again? Last year they they had their worst ever lead out in history. This year they had numbers again. Yeah, certainly numbers in that group that got away in those echelons before the broadcast started. And it included the likes of Sam Bennett, Ryan Mullen, Jordi Meus, and also Danny Van Bobbel. So that's a solid amount of riders when it comes to Bora, I'd say. And then you look at the riders from the other teams. You've got Philipson Merlier, which is Alpeson getting two riders in there as well. But is there two sprinters? So then the idea comes to mind, okay, we saw them not working together at Kenwele again. Perhaps that might, that might occur today again. Rudiger Zelig is in this group, but not the lead for Lotto Sudal, nor any teammates for Rudiger Zelig. So not exactly a good situation for them. No quick step in this group. We've also got Kasper van Uden here together with the teammates, Sam Wellsford, both for DSM. Wellsford being the fostered man on paper, I'd say, of the two. And then we've got Edward Tuns, one rider for a and Alexander Kristoff in here as well. I think he had Herman Tyson in there as well initially, but then when the broadcast started, or just before the broadcast started, Herman Tyson fell on his shoulder out of the first group and ended up in the fourth echelon or something. So he lost the rider there, which could have been useful towards the end of the race, perhaps, depending on how the race would be going. But knowing how Bora was so outnumbering the others, how do you think they would play this or should play this, knowing that Bennett is not exactly faster than Philipson and Merlier this year? I think they would have wanted it to go to a sprint, but it became increasingly obvious that Bennett was completely cooked. He was leaving gaps out of every single corner. And yeah, when coverage started, the gap was 30 seconds to quick step pacing, Lotto not really helping. And it just must have been such a hard race. It was Steels and Merkel on the front. And even though Group 1 had people like McClay, Christoph, and Zelig hiding, that gap went out to 115 and Bora were lent on. They had the most domestiques. They had Mayus, Van Poppel, and Mullen as well as pacing a lot. So it looked like a sprint for Bennett. 
but then it became clear he was doing his kind of Abraham 2021 <laughs> face. He looked like he's about to vomit. And I was like, surely they know. Like, surely he's going to tell the team um, he's not feeling good. Eventually, uh, they actually – and then there's Christoph as well. It's just dangerous riders like Christoph in that group. And I also didn't know what Alberson were going to do, Benji. They've got two sprinters. One, they can be better than each other on their day. No domestiques. In Gen Wevelhem, it was a disaster. And Merli was even blaming other teams for not chasing. I think, uh, I think it was uh, Philipson, uh, but Cycling News misquoted Philipson as Merlier. So just wanted to correct that swiftly. Uh, same person. One of them was complaining. <laughs> and the reality was they should have complained at each other. Who? Uh, what was their game plan? I think this is another scenario where they needed to just pick one. Yep, I agree in that. Like, the thing is, it's not easy to select one of the two. You said it. They're very similar when it comes to their ability to win this race. And they're arguably the two best sprinters in that front groups. But you can't control a group if you don't work for one another. And that's a scenario that could potentially occur as we saw the likes of Bora thinning out. We saw Ryan Mullen starting to skip turns at the back. So something was about to go down when it comes to an attack from him. At some point, we saw other riders that were not doing the yeah, the pacing that other riders at Bora were doing. So it was clear that they were being lent on, like you mentioned. And then you know that Alpacin, they need to figure something out for the end of this race, or they're going to have a situation where they're going to be, just like in Handwavelgem, following others and perhaps working both an equal amount but not one for the other and as a consequence if someone goes they can't control anything and ryan mullen's attack game that was pretty much well it was not going too far and he attacked quite a few times i think ryan mullen but what attacks did you think were, were the strongest ones Casper van Umden, uh, the DSM rider was really strong turns look good i think even mcclay was closing things down I was surprised that Danny Van Poppel couldn't get good separation. Um, but, yeah, Malia was even attacking, which was curious. I I really don't think Alberson should have been that aggressive. Speaking of Alberson, by the way, you might have missed it, but on our show partner, the Swift platform, earlier this week, Van Der Poel actually did a group ride in the afternoon, a recovery ride on Zwift. If you don't want to miss other events like that, download the Zwift companion app or check out Zwift free seven-day trial through Zwift.com. Bernal, about a week ago, also did his comeback ride, which I had think I had like 5,000 people join it, and he's already doing crazy volume, which that's a conversation for another day. But yeah, <laughs> thanks as always to Zwift for being the Lantern Roof Cycling Podcast title sponsor but yeah attacks kept rolling one by one and eventually one was going to snap because the alperson guys yeah as we already discussed weren't one wasn't just closing it all down and the man who picked the moment the savvy vet alexander Kristoff, it has started raining loves a hard race probably not the favorite in the sprint anyway went clear no one reacted no reaction, and I was like, this is immediately done. Because Bora was spent. I think Sam Bennett was getting dropped and faked having a mechanical. Um, and then Mayus had attacked. Van Poppel didn't look great. Mullen had done a lot of work, but he couldn't really close it down. He'd closed down everything for them. And, yeah, so I was like, well, the Alberson guys aren't going to chase. 
DSM were the next strongest. So it was then DSM guys kind of running for podium spots, and they were really good, Casper Van Emden and, and Wellsford. Uh, Wellsford is a Neo Pro, actually. He's a bit older than a typical Neo Pro because he's been in the Australian track program, going to the Olympics last year. Uh, but yeah, they were really, really strong. And Christoph, three Ks to go, 25 seconds, race done. Binium Gomai can favor him. Christoph, 10th at Flanders. We should have seen this coming. 10th at Flanders, incredible result, and he could have got better. Goes solo and wins like his 80th Pro win at Shelter Price with Danny Van Poppel. Sort of everyone was sprinting behind in the saddle. <laughs> no one was really sprinting. Everyone was spent. The second, 24 seconds behind. Wellsford third. Uh, big result for DSM. Van Uden, rather, fourth. Then turns McClay, Van Bilsen, Phillips and Merlier, eighth and ninth. I think that's not what they wanted. Mullen, tenth. De Lee and Jakobsen were 14th and 15th, 3.30 back. So what do you think, Benji? What's worse for morale? Would you rather be in the Alberson bus today or the Quick Step one? Well, they're both terrible. Oh, I'd say that I'd rather be in the. Um, hmm, I'd rather be in the. That's a difficult question because <laughs> on one end, Alpsen fucked up the final, while <laughs> Quick Step fucked up the echelon business. Yeah. So either side must not be happy with how today went. But I guess Quick Steps, the attention won't go to the failures in tactics or echelon business that. Quickstep did because it wasn't on TV, so they won't get as much backlash from it than Alpacin will from their stuff in the final. But all in all, I think both teams didn't have it that great, and it's another classic that Quickstep is not doing great at. And yeah, at this point, we're going to look at the uh, Hill Classics for savings when it comes to uh, Quickstep and the hope that Alaphilippe can do something there to spice things up. You know what's funny is some of the backlash about the points relegation stuff, people complaining about Arkea and Intermarche running for points. Well, they're, they're winning races as well. <laughs> like Intermarche <laughs> have been unreal. Arkea yeah. have been doing really, really well. They've Quintana's done well in GC. But, yeah, I think I'd rather be on the quick step bus because they fucked up as a team and missed it, but at least it wasn't like two guys – not being cohesive. Although I don't even blame them, Benji. Merlier's out of contract. He's in his last year of his contract. I don't think he's on a big contract either. I think Philipson's got, uh, he's on a better deal, longer deal than Merlier. Merlier was, has been asked to lead out Philipson and basically he could be a four-time, three-time Tour de France stage winner already. And he was a good guy last year. And I think this is a lesson in Benji. Sometimes it it's not always good to be the good guy for your own. Like there's no reward in the end. Like if you're the best sprinter on the team, you just won a Tour de France stage and then they're like, Oh, can we go, can, can Jasper have a go um, mm-hmm. in stage four? And you do that. The team, that doesn't mean the team's going to pay you what you're worth in two years. They might be like, well, you haven't won since then. But if you're a Tour de France multiple time stage winner and you're winning other races, you will get big offers. So. I don't know. I'm I'm already showing my hand that if I was an agent, I'd sometimes tell my riders to be a little bit selfish. But that's the reality of, of the game. Results pay. That's how you get paid. Yep, I agree in that aspect. And I also think that's why these two riders don't necessarily want to work together at the final of races like this. But on the opposite side, if they work together on some of these races, for example, if Philipson rides for Merlier at Kent Wevelgem, and he has a chance of at least 
fighting for the victory, perhaps podiums, perhaps wins, can dwindle him as a consequence. Then we look at today, and they do it the opposite way. That way, you'd see probably better results for both. So it's kind of right now they've got nothing, and if they work together in multiple races in both directions, then they might have more than they now have. You know. I mean, and this is the problem. If you don't bring Ricard, if you don't bring Debont, you're going to have these problems in this race if you bring Olivier and Philipson. So it's not even think, either uh, of their faults. I think uh, Ricard's out with a leg injury or something. Ah, you're so, right. He's got that yeah. nerve or dead legs thing he can't get rid of. Um, you're right. Okay. That was Shelter Price. Huge win for Christoph. If he comes top five in Roubaix, I don't think anyone would be surprised anymore at this well, point. Fun stuff has only one decent result at Roubaix in his history, ninth. Really? And he has like four DNFs or three DNFs. He also got 14 ones, but he's never gotten like a like a top five or anything like that. So perhaps this is the year with his form that he currently has because like we've said it in the RVV uh, recap, like he got top eight over one of the key hills. I think it was the Koppenberg during RVV, like a flat cobble section should fit him better. I don't know what the reason was for previous years. I do think in 2019 that he had... Uh, equipment issues where something with tubeless tires or something that he chose instead of uh, different ones and that ended up having a lot of mechanicals for him and so forth but I'm curious whether he can change that this year with the form that he has because I gotta say even the Kristoff that won that soapy to the front stage in 2020 was not on the level in consistency throughout the year that this Kristoff is now right like this Kristoff right now is better than the last what five years Nah, not five. Come on. There's the disrespect to Christoph. What is he? Maybe you're <laughs> right. Maybe he's not won five years. He won Gen Vabelham in 2019. How quickly okay. we forget. Um, <laughs> Luca Paolini, Christoph, best combination in history of cycling. Uh, otherwise, just a, a note the points from Van Uden do not count to DSM's total because he's on the dev team, uh, which is probably a bit of a sore spot for them. If you think about that, you think that they should have changed their strategy to focus on Wellsford in that aspect? Or or do you think that that would have led to Alperson taking better places and they well, wouldn't? I think they kind of were doing... I think Uden was working more than Wellsford. I think Wellsford's mm-hmm. the quickest sprinter anyway. Uh, it, it so worked out that Wellsford still finished above him. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm not actually sure they'd be aware of that <laughs> either. If that was Shelter Price, quite an exciting addition. Not the uh, sprint finale that sometimes or often happens. It was Christoph Solo. Fast Country Stage 3 from Yodio to Amarillo, 180 kilometers long. I perhaps underplayed, I definitely underplayed how difficult this parkour is in the quick preview of yesterday's podcast. It's up and down Muros all day with the Opayora climb, one point something Ks at 13%. So another climb at one point, I think one Ks at 12%. Then there's the Ozeka climb, 3.7 Ks at 7.1%, but it has like a 11% kilometer in the middle of it. It's typical Basque terrain. The problem is, it's they do two reps of it on a circuit. The last crest of the last one rather is twenty three k's from the finish with just some gentler rolling terrain to the finish, which is flat. So I didn't expect huge GC action. It didn't eventuate, but it definitely wasn't the boring break stage that I thought it might have been. Benji with Geraint Thomas setting out Ineos intentions very clearly on the first circuit of that uh, Opiora climb. 
Yeah, Gary Thomas was pacing in that elite group while at the front of the race we had Cristian Rodriguez solo after attacking away from two other companions, Hugo Ull and Jan Polans. In that breakaway, Cristian Rodriguez, by the way, who got second in Vuelta Andalusia, he's not some random, like, I don't know, dude that they got off the street. He's a decent cyclist and definitely can climb. So arguably, if he's not in this breakaway, could be a GC contender over the week, but they also have Latour in that team so perhaps they've made their decision quite clearly with Cristiano Rodriguez and that breakaway the gap was I think one minute 30 on that uh, first circuit on the climbs of the uh, Opiora and Ozeka climbs again Thomas doing the tempo there and he was going to do that for the entirety of those two climbs in that circuit and by the time they came to the top Thomas went off the front end he set up and everybody sat up and the gap from Cristian Rodriguez went from like 1.30 to four minutes in the span of like 20 kilometers and nobody really was interested in pacing too much until we got to that next circuit and I think was it again uh, Ineos I was gonna say Sky <laughs> was it again Ineos it was Thomas was again yeah it's Thomas again and then Gagenhart for a little bit it was clear they were going to try and use multi-leader strategy and attack with Yates and and uh Danny Felipe Martinez the the problem is if Danny Martinez cakes, like, yes, these climbs are quite steep, they're quite hard, but at the end of the day, they're 3K, 7%. The size of the gap, you need, like, Jonas and Roglic, you need to have dysentery or something to lose more than 15 seconds on these climbs. And then Martinez descending is is terrible. So, yeah, th these are goat tracks they're descending down, perfect for the likes of Bill Bow, who was at huge odds, as well as, uh, I think, Thrailer and Lewis Leon yesterday. Not that I, of course, indulge in that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, they tried to roll Yumbo. Jonas looked on Benji. He looked, it's like Torino, slow TT start. And then he was on following Pog in Torino, obviously not in Carpena, but in the punchy stages, he, uh, yeah, he was following the, the Yates moves easily. And then Roglic was sort of mid pack, not being aggressive. I couldn't figure out what Quickstep's plan was midway through this stage benji the ineos attacks didn't really go anywhere it did thin it out we got a, a large group of favorites and then alphilippe and remco kind of took turns pacing after remco had been did he get dropped on the end of this steep climb yeah he got distance twice on the climb but on the steeper sections and then on the shallower sections he paced back to the group because someone that attacked at the front just sat up and eventually everything came back together again the same way rigoberto Uran also dropped on that Ozeka climb on this parkour so very similar in that sense but you're right Alaphilippe and Remco I think uh I would probably have thought that Remco would be the attacker and Alaphilippe would be the sprinter in that scenario once you get over those final climbs and Remco would try and control it a bit in that aspect if someone else tries to attack and I think they somewhat tried that but it wasn't overly visible I'd say because Remco did try a few times to fast in the tempo or attack because sometimes you don't know the difference with Remco if someone's in his wheel and he fastens the tempo in an uphill uh false flat uphill section then yeah they didn't really seem to lose his wheel so it didn't really look like an attack just a harder pace but it certainly uh had Alaphilippe on like last few places in the group then so perhaps that Remco's moves there actually were hurting Alaphilippe you think that um they kind of, I knew they'd try. I didn't think they'd really go anywhere. They're just, Yumbo with Jonas. Like, imagine if Roglic was isolated here, Benji. Yeah. This is, it looks like, okay, we look at the results and you look at the last 20Ks and, yeah, there's a few attacks from Remco. I think Vlasov tried a couple of times. Bill Bow was very fast. And 
if Jonas isn't there, this could have been much more chaotic. Ineos would have been much more aggressive and the presence of Jonas meant that Yates and Martinez were like, eh, what are we going to do? We've already tried on the hardest start of the stage. So it was quite weird in that I think Uran came back with Soler. They all just started pace lining pretty much after those attacks. They all just worked together. It was, it was brilliant, just cohesion. Uh, everyone working together. Rolich and Jonas probably taking more of the pools with Vlasov. Eventually, Remco began a lead out predictably for Alaphilippe. It's a fast run into the finish, but just at like 150, it kicks up a little bit, 200, and then levels off once again. Obviously, the favorites for the sprint being Alaphilippe, who won against quicker people yesterday. Roglic, we expected to try here in a smaller, reduced group of GC favorites. Vlasov came second in Indurain in a flat sprint, beating like Vendrame and Simon Clark. And Bilbao's pretty handy on his day as well. Remco did the lead out, not as devastating as yesterday. Roglic was really unhappy with his position. He never got settled in this sprint, never found a wheel to sit on, was unhappy coming up from sixth. He wanted to be on Alaphilippe's wheel, second wheel. It was Bilbao, third, Vlasov, fourth. He was fighting first for Vlasov's wheel, and he's like, eh, don't want that one. Then moved up to the left of Vlasov, trying to take Bilbao's wheel. Vlasov was like, nope. Then on a left-hand bend, he tried to move up, and it's obscured a little bit because there's an overpass or a train track. He tried to move up underneath Bilbao and take out Philip's wheel, and the Basque rider, I presume, was like, that's not happening, buddy, and closed off the apex, and Roglic had to break very, very sharply. Well, he must have, because he promptly went from third wheel to about 12th wheel sprint done. Yates had a mechanical. Uh, Benji informs me the three-kilometer rule does apply. That's correct. If the rules are applied according to what I'm reading in French in their rule book, then on paper, yes, because it says something about étape montagne, and I don't think this was an étape montagne. So as a consequence, <laughs> I think that the three-kilometer rule is uh, working outside of an étape montagne, which is a mountain stage. Okay, we're going to hold Benji to that. Um, it's his decision <laughs> after all. And then they go to the sprint. Remco drops Alphalife off a little bit earlier than he would have liked, although he dropped him off not that late last day, and Alphalife destroyed everybody. Bilbao not even in Alphalife's draft. Like Alphalife's initial surge gapped him a little bit, and he comes up on the right side, a longer sprint, and actually nails Alphalife on the line, which not many people would have been expecting. Like I expected Alphalife to clean this. And he comes second to Bilbao. Vlasov third, Gudu fourth, Mas fifth. Mas actually attacked today. Um, it's on camera, I think. Latour sixth, Roglic seventh. Couldn't get back after that bad positioning error. Izagira, then Jonas ninth, Uran tenth. Avenapol finishes with the group. Soler got dropped again. Uh, and Yates, yes, according to PCS, has been credited with the same time. So GC, Roglic remains in the GC lead. Five seconds out of Avenapol. Vlasov is on third on 14. Yates fourth on 18. Bilbao moves up quite a few spots after, again, an average TT for what used to be good time trialist. Yep. He's fifth on 19. Jonas sixth. Izaguirre seventh. Martinez eighth. Latour ninth. Alaphilippe tenth. Really cost him that mechanical in the time trial. He would have been right, right up there. But Bilbao Benji. He's having a pretty good season. He was third at UAE on GC. Yep, he's actually uh, doing pretty damn good, that's certain. And 
Like when it comes to his Grand Tours that he's going to be riding this year, there's currently Giro and Vuelta, which I think is a very good choice based on yeah. the fact that his time trials this year were not amazing and previous year compared to what he was before, but still manageable where he can stay on a decent margin. And therefore in the Giro, the climbing should be enough to give him uh, opportunities. But again, they've got other riders there. Will this be the scenario well, where Landa in week one crashes out or something and Bilbao is the man that comes out on the podium like Caruso last year? Maybe. I mean, Bilbao, one of the best descenders in the world. He's looking in great condition. His agent, Carrera, I think, put up a post with him a few days ago before yep. Basque started. And I think maybe that usually when agents are meeting the riders, it's for a reason, maybe penciling an extension. That might be announced soon. I haven't heard, but I'm just guessing from that Instagram. At Valenciana, they didn't ride for him despite being so strong on stage three, where he still came fourth after doing domestic duties for no one knows who. We still don't know. Uh, Luis Del Sanchez. (laughs) I I, I heard it was for Morich. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. No, I don't know. Third on Jaboa Feet, fifth at Strade, and ninth at Torreno, and then he was decent at GP in Durant. Now wins this stage. He lost a sprint here on the Ondoribia stage last year to Yonez Aguirre. That was the McNulty... Jonas move when McNulty went into the leader's jersey, which set up that beautiful mm-hmm. stage six to Arate. But he did win a Tour of the Alps sprint, I think, against Vlasov once again in the Pieve de Bono, which, yeah, was against Vlasov after a long technical descent when he'd been dropped. He came back to them. So, Tour of the Alps, he'll be looking dangerous. Giro, as Benji said, is perfect. Do you think Benji, again, Yumbo were clearly doing the we want Rodriguez to take GC lead by 30 seconds. That's what they wanted. Who? Sorry? Yumbo Visma. They were doing the, we don't want the jersey. Oh, Christian Rodriguez. Okay, sorry. I was completely Mate, confused one, with the other your one. Your one lost more time today. Yeah, I know. I know. He's I know. Done. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. That's why I was confused. Like, what does Rodriguez have to do with this? But you're right. I think they were trying the same thing, but the other teams were too interested in the stage in the same way that, well, too interested in doing something on the hills. And then for the stage, compared to the fact that, uh, well, yesterday, the same story. We had also had other teams ruining that for Yambo. And perhaps it's a strategy these days by other teams, by keeping the jersey in Roglic's hands to make sure he fucks up as a leader and has to control that much. Is that a strategy you would think you'd use if you were an opposing team, forcing others in the lead? Um, it's counterproductive, right? Because you're not in the lead then. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like... When Roglic has to be aggressive, it's pretty scary, particularly in this terrain. Like we look at tomorrow's stage, if he's like, I need to gain time and Yumbo light it up, <laughs> which they probably should do anyway, um, like he could take big time. It's from Vittoria Gasteiz to Ingatim Park Zamudio, uh, outside of north of Bilbao. It's a very similar stage, obviously a little bit different, but 186Ks, they have steep climbs punctuating throughout the day. There's the Urz Dimendi, 2Ks, 10.5%. That's with 40Ks to go. Then they do a lap of the finish line at Zamudio. Then they go up a different climb, the Vivero climb. It starts. It's a fake news one. It says 6Ks, 6.2%. That's a lie. The first 2.2Ks are 10.5%, which is serious. And I'm sure there's steeper pinches in that. And then it levels off. And then there's a bit of a false flat downhill. And then there's a proper downhill. Probably sketchy as hell. Um, but that's the end of that downhill is like 15, 14 Ks from the finish. I think it's 
It's a very similar scenario, Benji. We could see Bilbao attacking on the descent. We could see a small sprint. If it's a group like this, Alaphilippe will be the favourite again. We'll see Vlasov maybe trying. It's 2Ks, though, at 10%. That gives you a bit more to work with. Do Ineos replay what they did today, which didn't really achieve anything? Ooh, I think they need to try and still roll attacks on people and hope they can strike in that sense, because otherwise... They can't really do much else, I dare to say, than do that. But the thing is, it's not like the Alto del Vivero is the longest climb in history and so forth. But yeah, I think they should try something similar. But I still don't believe they're strong enough to beat the Vingegaard and Roglic duo, necessarily. I do think that other teams will have Remco on a bit of a less strong competitor pedestal after today's stage, with him dropping multiple times on the Roseca climb. Yes, it's a steeper sections, but an Arate climb is a, a longer climb. Do you think an Arate climb is that is that a steeper one or no? That's is that a steep one or he not? He should get ruined on Arate by okay. Roglic and Godu and Co. Yeah. The interesting they... part about this stage is that that Alto del Vivero is also uh, part of the Tour de France 2023, I think, on stage one, which is going to be intriguing to see what happens on this stage in Basque Country this year to see what might happen in the Tour de France 2023 on stage one. If Alaphilippe's very good on Alto del Vivero tomorrow, well, then he might be good on the Côte de Vivero, is what the French call it, in the Tour de France next year. I think Jumbo can still keep playing Jonas as the defender, defending attacks. They're in a good position, and I think their yeah. plan is to probably do that. Ineos, as he said, they got time they need to make up. The problem is the crest from the finish, like... Say Yates goes clear and he goes with a Bilbao. Well, even a pole, Vla- Vlasov will work with Yumbo to chase them back in the valley. He will help them. So it's it's really hard to make up time. Um, but yeah, I like the looks of the same sort of candidates. Bilbao, uh, Vlasov, Alaphilippe. Who you got? I think the key is also the making sure that the other riders of opposing teams are rather isolated, except Roglic then on the Urostimendi climb by hammering that to make sure they don't have like random domestiques left to keep themselves safe on Vivero. So perhaps that's something that Ineos can do as well. But when it comes to my pick for the stage, I'm going to go with... Oh, Jesus Christ, who the hell is going to win this stage? Who did he say? Alaphilippe. That's probably the rider that is going to win, but... (laughs) It's so boring to say Alaphilippe. <laughs> I'm going to go for Alaphilippe. <laughs> yeah, he should. I think he's going to be Jesus mad Christ. after today. He's, he kind of left that one hanging. He didn't deviate. Credit to him. Um, By the way, Higita, what happened to him? Oh, because yeah. the man dropped on the Ozeka climb, and I was like, why are you dropping, Higita? I was expecting something from you, and actually don't know where he came. He came on a solid... Okay, he's not in the list yet, so yeah, solid long time. And another one, like James Shaw, I thought would have been kind of good on this stage. I would actually, like, I think he's quite good. And you look at Slovenia last year, I thought he'd be doing better. Padun DNF'd, George Bennett didn't start. And Igita, I heard Benji, a few riders got sick after Catalonia. It was very cold, wet, like it's it was been so cold here. Um, and they were doing those stages, like that stage they did the 120k raid. It wouldn't surprise me if there's some after effects of that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was Mouse Country. 
I underplayed this stage. Tomorrow, I think, should be good as well. Hopefully, there's some big GC action. And um, Jonas, Jonas lights it up. Jonas is my, my joker. I think Jonas okay, okay. could also and before it And before it's a, a four Spanish Pro Conti teams breakaway again, like, yeah. like yesterday. No, nah, they'll never work together it again. other races. Yeah. Okay, you're right. It's it's war right now in the pro. <laughs> there, yeah, it's a lot uh, of beef right now. Levels, <laughs> but hey, that's a fun. We enjoy that. There's one result today from your man that you've been hyping up. He finally did it. Oh yeah, you're right. Circuit cyclist sucked. Olaf Koy won the sprint there ahead of Mes Pedersen. I'm not going to lie, I didn't see the sprint, so I can't say too much about it, except for the fact that it's something that we saw coming for a while that Olaf Koy would win something. I rated his sprint higher than Mes Pedersen, but. I also think it helps in this race that he's got a team dedicated for him. Yes, it's not it's not an all-out star-struck team. It's the riders that were part of his squad when it comes to last year in the Tour of Croatia and did lead-outs for him. So he had a team that was fully in support of him. Lars Bolven, uh, the likes of Mick van Dijk, for example, who's shown very strong skills at Ronde van Vlaanderen the other day. So, yeah, I think that's uh, that's perhaps part of why he was able to uh, take something home here. But Peterson looking very strong again, winning yesterday's stage, second today again. Uh, I spoke to Luke Plapp yesterday and he couldn't stop talking about the fact that Mess Peterson is flying. So let's hope that, well, we see a, a fun Mess Peterson ride at Roubaix. Apparently, well, not apparently. I watched it with my own eyes. He went a bit too early in this sprint, was zigzagging everywhere. Coy was finally in good position, was able to nail him. So it was always a problem for Coy that positioning. Finally got it right, and yeah, it's it's a it's a two dot one stage win. But you look at the the list of riders, or yeah. you know, it's it's a decent decent win. Cavendish is here too, tenth. Cavendish a bit a slow start as well. It's not going. Oh, he won Torino, so yeah, I think. It, I think Cavendish doesn't get bonuses for 2.1 stage wins and um, <laughs> as I would do in his position, acts accordingly. Uh, otherwise, the only news, other news was Alejandro Osorio, who's a Neopro and Bahrain Victorious. He's quite a tall uh, Colombian rider. He was on Rural the last two years, moved up, 23 years old, quite good in Tour of the Alps last year. At UAE, saw him pulling in flat stages they released a tweet saying he's had his contract terminated for like multiple contract breaches. So there's probably going to be some an article come out on that with statements from the team, I think, elaborating on that because that doesn't really say the reason. But, yeah, it's a shame, Benji. It's a shame to see that. Um, I wonder where, like, what does he do now? Does he go back to Kaha? Oh, I don't know. Perhaps. Perhaps he might be picked up by... Androni when they fetch another sponsor for on the shirt because there's like this one space that it still fits the shirt sponsor there but I don't know where he goes to be honest isn't there another Rosario in in the peloton somewhere that he could join I remember Juan Felipe or something at Burgos Juan Felipe Osorio no clue that's family but they've got the same name so they fit in the same team Frank Osorio I think he, he does have a brother but he's much much older than him he's like okay. 11 years <laughs> older um it's a shame because like I actually see him riding all the time around here in groups with like Amador and mm -hmm. some of the Spanish speakers. Um, and sometimes I just kind of want to, he's young, probably doesn't have a big support base in over here in Europe. And I at least does have some of the Spanish speakers to ride with here, but yeah, it's some of them struggled adjusting to world tour life and it's difficult, like getting yourself organized for races. Uh, well, no, it's, it's part of the job. 
so I can see it from Bahrain's perspective as well. Uh, and if you're not, if you're not the talent level of Avonapol or Co, and you keep making mistakes, then yeah, the team will will let you go. So yeah, shame to see. Wonder where he'll land next. Wait for more news on that one. The only other note to make was that Lorena Vibers won the Shell Price Women's Edition one one race in a sprint, which would have been probably paying a dollar oh five most locked on thing ever once she made it <laughs> sort of to the 20 kilometers to go in the group um so yeah she wins her second edition of shelter price and i still think the best flat sprinter in the world despite Bolzamo's, uh not resurgence whatever the first re- version of resurgence is but that's all from <laughs> us today Bass country stage four tomorrow hopefully it's a, an exciting one and we'll see you with a recap of that then ciao selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.